Welcome to Shelf Life from Bristol Libraries. I'm Catherine. I'm Paul. And I'm Sean. This is a podcast about libraries, books and people. What are people taking out of the modern public library and what are they giving back? Who's keeping the shelves and spaces between them vibrant and full of life? Plus, we'll be delving into news about books, authors and events across Bristol's 27 libraries. So if you're interested in books or in people, lend us your ears. We hope you enjoy this episode of Shelf Life. Welcome everyone to this episode of Shelf Life. And this week we wanted to do a special episode to talk about the Summer Reading Challenge. So we wanted to talk about what it is, how it's working this year, because it's taking place online because of coronavirus, um, and how you can take part. And so we also wanted to talk a little bit about children's books um, and the things that we enjoyed reading when we were young. And as usual, just bring you some book recommendations. So to start us off, Shan and Paul, have you guys been reading anything good lately? Yeah, I've just read a thriller. This was an audio book. It was on Borrowbox and it was by Peng Shepherd and called The Book of M. And it's quite a recent book, I think kind of post-apocalyptic thing so it starts out with something that's a bit like a pandemic but yeah. then it's it's a bit more supernatural like people lose their shadows and once they've lost their shadows they lose their memories and then this sort of spreads across the world and creates havoc it was quite an exciting book like it was the most kind of thrilling read that I've had um since I've started this podcast the one that had me most like on the edge of my seat but it was also quite emotionally nuanced like the stuff around losing memories and the way that affects relationships and so on was really interesting. It also got me thinking about fiction and the sort of situation with the coronavirus. It started off with like people panic buying and police violence uh, and sort of state control and these different things that were like just seemed a bit too real and was really stressful at first. But then it just sort of descended into just a few survivors throwing rocks at each other. And it's like, hang on, where is the bit in between where you get people doing mutual aid groups and putting rainbows in their windows? And like, (laughs) so it sort of made me think about how in some ways it felt more real because of the pandemic, but in other ways it felt less real. I suppose I wondered, have either of you been thinking about pandemic or post-apocalyptic fiction in relation to what we've seen the last few months? I feel that... I think people kind of divide into two groups or readers kind of divide into two groups when you're talking about like like a reading response to the pandemic or the coronavirus. Because I think there are people that just want escapism. So they want to read something that's totally like safe and comforting and just nothing to do with sort of the current circumstances. And I definitely fall into that category. So I've been doing a lot of that kind of like comfort reading. But then I do also know that there are quite a few people that have, um, I mean, it seems a little strange to me, but I can understand it. But because of what we're all going through at the moment, they're quite drawn to sort of this genre of, yeah, post-apocalyptic kind of uh, horror, I guess because there's maybe a sense of catharsis in that or it's a way of understanding the world that's definitely not been the way that I've responded to it what about you Sean what have you been reading lately I've gone a little bit off on a tangent I'm not reading fiction or non-fiction really right now I'm reading an embroidery book Mm. (laughs) so one of my hobbies is embroidery and this book is called Stitchcraft uh, and it's by Gayla Partridge this book is really helping me to develop my skills I think. I'm still very new to embroidery but this book is all sort of macabre kind of designs. There's patterns of things like planchettes and one of these is called The Anatomy of Human 
And I'm finding it really cathartic to just look through this book and to read every now and then. You know, it's not a linear book. You can pick it up whenever you want. A bit like a coffee table book. Nice. What have you been reading, Catherine? I've just read. It was a really nice book. Really enjoyed it. It's called The Authenticity Project. Um, it's by the writer Claire Pooley. And it kind of falls into this genre that gets called in publishing or in bookshops. It's, it's kind of recent, but people have started calling it uplit which is kind of like uplifting fiction or literature. Uplifting literature. Yeah, so it's uplit. So it's stuff, I mean, it's kind of romance, but it's more like inspiring commercial fiction, maybe, or inspiring women's fiction, something like that. But it's just a really nice book. So it's about um, this old man who has this idea for what he calls the Authenticity Project. So he starts a notebook in which he writes his life story and then he goes and leaves it in a cafe for other people to find. Um, and then they write their life stories in it as well. And it's, it's basically, it sounds quite cheesy and I guess it is a little bit, but it, it's, it's still a really nice read. Um, it's kind of about bringing these six strangers together and creating connections between them. So yeah, it's just a nice comfort read. It's a little bit like um, Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. That's quite a popular one. It's sort of like an up, uplit book or... Um, the Flat Share by Beth O'Leary, or About a Boy by Nick Hornby. Just good comfort reads for a bit of escapist fiction. So in this episode, we wanted to be talking about the Summer Reading Challenge. And first off, I thought we could talk about what is the Summer Reading Challenge, this is actually me, uh, uh, mine and Catherine's first summer reading challenge whilst working at Bristol Libraries, uh, because we're both still quite new to working here. So we've been learning along with, you know, some of you out there who might not know what it quite is. It's an initiative that takes place every year during the summer, and it's a partnership with the reading agency. Each year, the summer reading challenge has a theme. So last year it was the Space Chase and this year it's called Silly Squad. So the initiative is for children who are aged between 4 and 11 and it's to encourage them to be reading for fun over the summer. Usually the Summer Reading Challenge takes place in libraries all over Bristol and other places in the country. But this year because of coronavirus it's taking place digitally. It will be running from June to September and more than about 700,000 children take part nationally every year. Yeah, I've been doing it for, you said this is your first year. I've been bribing children to read books by giving them stickers, uh, <laughs> years, which is, you know, the main part of it, let's be honest. How many stickers do you think you've given away? Oh, yeah, lost count. Some of them are really smelly, like they get really <laughs> excited. And the worst smelling ones are the ones that uh, the kids tend to be most excited oh about. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite glad to give those away and get the smell out of the, out of the library. Are they scratch and sniff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the main like purpose of the Summer Reading Challenge, as I see it, is to get children to carry on reading during the summer holidays. So it helps to prevent the summer reading dip that happens then and keeps their reading skills and confidence up during that quite long summer holiday. And it's especially important at the moment because there's been a lot of disruption, obviously, to schools. And it encourages reading for fun and for enjoyment and free choice. So not because you have to. There's a Silly Squad list of books, like a themed list of books each year, but you don't have to choose one from those. You can read whatever you want. 
and it's not being set by the school it's like something you do in your free time so that has lots of benefits like lower levels of stress and depression and higher levels of well-being it's important for learning and literacy and imagination and engaging with empathy so loads of good stuff how do you take part this year it is taking place digitally so it's available to take part online so you can sign up and um, if you go to their website it's summerreadingchallenge.org.uk this is basically so adults can create a profile on this website for children one really key difference actually is that you can set your own reading goal this year so it's going on for a bit longer than it would normally. I think most years it sort of takes place during the summer holidays, but this year it started in June and it's running right the way through until September. So whereas normally the challenge is to read six books over the summer holidays, so now you can choose to read as many um, as you would like. So if you only want to read a few books, that's that's fine. But if you want to read more books than six, you can do that too. Um, so yes, yeah, so you can set your own reading goals. And there's lots of other fun stuff on the website as well. So things like quizzes and competitions. I think that... This year, it's really good that the reading agency have realised that people don't have access to libraries at the moment, uh, at least in person. So they're saying that you can read basically anything. You can reread books that you have at home. You can get books from the library, as in the digital resources, that's e-books, e-audiobooks, e-comics and graphic novels and kids magazines that we have on all of the digital resources that we promote through the podcast. And then, as Paul's mentioned, you've also got the Silly Squad book lists, which you can follow you know, if you'd like. They're set up into three different categories. So you've got picture books for the youngest children, younger readers, and then older readers. And you can use that book sorter to show what books you could be reading next. Yeah, so I actually, I've got some recommendations that I wanted to share with you from this year's Silly Squad reading list. So the first one is um, is a picture book and it is called Super Kitty versus Mousezilla. So the words are by Hannah Whitty, so it's the author, and the illustrator is Paula Bowles. And I wanted to mention this one because Paula is um, a local author. She lives in Bristol and she has done um, an online story time for us, actually, which was great. It's perfect for little ones, so kind of like naught to five years. It's the second book in the series. So the first book was just called Super Kitty. This one is Super Kitty versus Mousezilla. Basically, it's up to Super Kitty to save the day. And yeah, just the illustrations are wonderful. And then the second book is for a slightly older reader, for kind of ages five to eight, The Worst Class in the World by Joanna Nadine. And she's an author, she's based in Bath. And so actually these two books I wanted to recommend for slightly older readers are both by authors that we have hosted an online author event with. So if you're interested, you can check out our Facebook page to watch the video of the author interview but yeah, so the worst class in the world. Yeah, it's a great read. Basically about two best friends called Stanley and Manjeet. And they start a class competition to see who can make the best biscuits in the world. And the characters are great. And particularly some of the teachers. Yeah, the head teacher, who is um, especially terrifying, is Mrs. Bottomley Blunt. And she's got a really fantastic list of school rules. It's especially good, that one, for um, reluctant readers. So for kids that maybe struggle to um, get stuck into a longer book, this is a really good read because it's divided into three shorter stories and there's lots of space between the lines. So it's quite, it's got, it's an accessible book and it's got some really fantastic illustrations um, by Rickin Perek. Finally, the last book that I wanted to recommend is Fireboy by J.M. Joseph. 
So this is another Bristol author and it is for slightly older readers, so kind of nine to 12 years. And it is a brilliantly funny story. It's an adventure story about three friends who are sent a mysterious package, which turns out to be a jar of sweets. They eat them, of course, and end up gaining superpowers. But the twist is that they don't choose their superpowers. So they have to learn how to control them. So there's a certain amount of chaos um, as a result. So I really enjoyed that one as well. And it's especially for fans of My Brother is a Superhero by David Solomons. I think if you enjoyed that book, you'll enjoy this one. Have either of you recently read any children's books that you'd recommend? So yeah, a book that I read fairly recently and and really liked is by a children's author, Catherine Rundell. She is a wonderful writer. People might know her from her book called The Rooftoppers, which I haven't read yet, actually, but would love to. Um, So I think that's probably her most famous book. But the one that I've read most recently is called The Explorer, and it's a great adventure story but it feels very classic in her style of writing. And so it's about four children who survive a plane crash in the Amazon. And the chances of them getting home seems really incredibly small, but they realise that actually they're following the footsteps of somebody who's been there before them. It's a bit of a mystery kind of adventure story. Yeah, and along the way they end up adopting a baby sloth, which is very cute. So it's, yeah, it's a lovely book. It's really good. It'd be perfect for kind of for slightly older readers, so sort of nine to 12. But especially if you just like a really good um, kind of classic adventure story. Actually, it's also worth mentioning she, so Catherine Rundell has written this really fab, it's a little book. It's an essay basically, but it's been published as a small hardback book. And it's called Why You Should Read Children's Books, Even Though You Are So Old and Wise. Yeah, it's aimed at adults and it's just all about um, the joy of children's books and reading books for children, even when you're not a child um, and just how important that is. Because it's not something that I've got to admit, like I don't read that many kids books. I don't tend to read them unless I've got a reason to. But yeah, it's something about seeing the world from a different perspective and from a child's perspective. And sort of I feel like children's books are kind of a more joyful and playful in some ways than, than adult books. Yeah, that sounds interesting because yeah, I don't really read children's books because I'm like, I'm not a child, why would I? But like, that's a different way of thinking about that. Yeah, oh, um, it's perfect. You should, yeah, definitely yeah. have a look at that essay. It's definitely worth the read. Yeah. In my library assistant job, I do get to read quite a few children's books, mainly because I have to find appropriate ones to be reading to groups of children. One that I found that I really, really enjoyed reading last time I was in the library was called Ruby's Worry, and that's by Tom Percival. That's a lovely picture book. It is so wonderful. I really, really recommend everybody just having a look for it if you can. Ruby's Worry is a children's book, but it tackles really adult problems like worrying or anxiety and shows children that if you share your problem with somebody else, it's it's a problem halved and that you're much likely to be less troubled by it. And you can also learn that other people have worries too. So I, I enjoyed reading that as an adult because I just thought it was a wonderful thing. But I can also imagine that for a child, it would be very comforting to hear. I think it's a great book for, for introducing children to kind of the concepts of, of anxiety and sort of having those discussions around feelings and emotions. It's a really helpful book for that. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a really lovely read. Actually, that makes me think of Michael Rosen's book, The Sad Book, 
don't know if you come across that, but that's kind of, it deals with his son's death, but, you know, it's a kind of a children's picture book in a way, but it's, it goes deep with the emotions. It's really kind of a tearjerker, but quite helpful, I guess, for being able to deal with grief as a child. And like Michael Rosen, generally, I, I actually do maybe revisit his stuff now and then and his playful poetry and things like, I think he's brilliant. I think that's, um, that's like the magic of picture books though, isn't it? That there's so much in the illustrations that they can deal with these really big, very heavy, very difficult concepts, but in a way that's, yeah, easier to understand. Yeah. And um, Sonia, talking about picking up books to read to children in the library, that's actually one of the things I really love doing in, in my job when I get to do that. One of the ones I go to is Chimpanzees of Happy Town, which is kind Ooh. of a... <laughs> it's kind of a dystopia utopia kind of thing so it's it's brilliant at like getting the imagination going on like the idea that another world is possible but yeah in terms of like older children's books that I've read I guess I've read like the Northern Lights trilogy by Philip Pullman loved those haven't got around to the Book of Dust yet and actually I've, I've read some books by Polly Ho Yan who writes for maybe older children and her book The Boy in the Tower was really good that's kind of a modern day Day of the Triffids, like set in a tower block in London with like really great cast of characters. And maybe just to big up Polly Ho-Yen, actually, she was uh, used to work for libraries and actually helped do some of the groundwork for setting up this podcast and was on the reading list for last year's Summer Reading Challenge, one of her books was. And also did a lot of work towards um, setting up the Bristol Teen Book Award. And actually the shortlist for this year has just been announced. So you can go and check out the shortlist online we have some really good authors on that so louisa reed um oh nikesh shukla the boxer we have a collection of these available as ebooks on the ebook app libby so yeah so if you're looking for another book that's a good place to have a look So we've talked about books that you would recommend to children but i'm wondering what kind of books did you both like to read as children do you want to go first, Paul? Uh, yeah, I could go first. So I've got a story here, actually. This is, so when I was seven, I came down with a mysterious disease that was, they never quite managed to identify what it was, but they thought it might be some form of foot and mouth. So I was in hospital for a week and isolated in case I it was infectious because they literally had no idea. It was quite, you know, tricky being quite ill and isolated. But I had this nurse and he was amazing. And he talked to me a lot and found out that I like snakes. And so he got me this book about snakes. And so I sat there in bed for a week feeling really rough and just like learning all these facts about snakes, enduring them all and learning the difference between all the different species and the different patterns they have. And like when my uh, parents would come in to visit, I'd be like, look, and I'd tell them all about these different snakes and I'd sort of give them a bit of a lesson and show them all the different ones that I'd drawn and just got so into that um, kind of through that book. So that was quite a meaningful moment with the book for me as a child. I've got little tears in my eyes. That's so wholesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's so nice. That must have really shaped you as a child into who you are as an adult. Yeah, it definitely contributed. Like that nurse was a bit of a role model in a way and it helped enthuse me both about nature and about art. Yeah. Um, which are both things that I still love. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. Yeah, how about you two? Do you want to go first, Catherine? 
I do remember really loving Jacqueline Wilson and her books. And I remember that being a real thing. So whenever she had a new book, you know, I'd have to get whichever book was coming out. I really loved her books. So I particularly remember kind of reading like The Illustrated Mum and The Suitcase Kid um, and Tracy Beaker. So before it was a TV program, I feel like these days it's it's kind of more well known for being a TV series. But um, so, no, I really love the book. And those books, uh, they all kind of deal with different social issues yeah in some ways they're quite heavy going um so the suitcase kid uh, is about a young girl whose parents are going through a divorce tracy beaker is about a, a young child growing up in social care and yeah i just think jacqueline wilson's an incredible writer an incredible author she's so prolific she's still writing i have long since stopped reading every single book that she's written um so i guess i read them until i was 12 or 13 and then had to stop um, but she's still going so she's written more than 100 books I think I just really loved her. When I was a child I really enjoyed horrible history books they have since been made into a tv series a bit like Tracy Beaker the majority of the books were written by Terry Deary some of the titles are like awesome Egyptians terrible Tudors and they were children's history books so they were non-fiction they're very very factual actually I still have some of them and to be honest though I didn't really I didn't really read the writing I just looked at the really cool pictures Mm -hmm. (laughs) um I I thought that the illustrations were really really engaging and fun and a bit gross and they were witty and um I was thinking about it you know does it really matter that I didn't really read the book because you know some people might argue well you know you didn't really read it did you but at the same time I think that they really instilled the interest in history. Yeah it's about what you got from it so if you got that that love of history from it then that's pretty amazing. Yeah yeah I I think they do a really really good job at that of making um, history accessible. Mm. I remember I had those too and I remember collecting them all because there were were loads on there. They made science ones as well. Oh, yeah. I remember I didn't collect as many as those because I wasn't as interested. But they no, were- same. Yeah, but I definitely had a lot of the history ones. This has made me think of a slight tangent. Um, but did you guys read the Goosebumps books? Yeah. Those are another one that... Um, actually, I don't think I really chose those because they were like horrible ghost stories for children. Or too scary for you. Yeah, they were too scary for me. <laughs> Genuinely, <laughs> they were too scary for me. But my brothers had them, so I'm pretty sure I ended up reading them because of that again there are those ones with the titles that um I can't remember if they rhymed or just were really alliterative but yeah I just remember having to sort of like collect them all and my brothers had the whole collection I particularly liked out of the Goosebumps books they had the choose your own adventure books where you know you'd read the text and then at the bottom it would say turn to page 14 if you want to do this or turn to page 52 if you want to do that and I really, really enjoyed those types of books. I felt that they gave me like real independence in my reading. And what I would do is I'd put my finger in the page and then I'd go back and read both of the options and choose which one I liked best. I thought uh, yeah, that's the best way to go. I would never do that. I liked the mystery and the, the risk <laughs> and suspense. Um, yeah, I read the, the Fighting Fantasy ones of those by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingstone, maybe more like as an old, older child. And actually, they were the first book I bought was one of those. When I was given my first national book token, when I was maybe 11 or 12, the first book I went out and got was Trial of Champions, which was a a choose your own adventure style thing. 
and yeah I went through that maze so many times <laughs> I finally made it out eventually but it took several goes oh that's so funny the books that really stick in your mind because that was the first one that you get to choose mm. yeah going back to what you're saying about looking at the artwork of children's books I used to love ones where you could really get lost in the detail of the artwork so things like the jolly postman by Janet and Alan Elberg and the books by Fungus the Bogeyman and yeah. the other ones That's by that brilliant. guy. Uh, he, he was brilliant. I've forgotten his name. Raymond Briggs. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah, you still have Raymond Briggs. And Where's Wally? Yeah. Yes. Um, and they still, I've seen like fights break out in libraries over Where's Wally books. Like could still go wild for them. But yeah, I loved those. And we'd just like look at those over and over and over because I'd, I'd forget where, where he was on some of the pages and we'd have to go back and find him again. And yeah, I got really absorbed into those. With artwork, I really liked um, the story Laura Star by Klaus Baumgart. It was all sort of like nice, pastely kind of warm tones. And the star is made of a different type of piece of paper. So it's like really sparkly paper mm. compared to the rest of it. And I remember just like really, really liking that star. So it's a different texture. Yeah, it's kind of like shiny. In terms of like, you know, getting into reading books as a child the like main author for me was Roald Dahl mm. I yeah you know the illustrations added to that the Quentin Blake but like those were in terms of like the number of words that I read I'd say it would be mostly Roald Dahl what um, were some of your favorite books by him possibly Danny and the Champion of the World I haven't read that one. Oh, that's such a great one yeah it's got a good like father-son relationship stuff I guess it, it brings to life this kind of rural landscape which is quite familiar to me growing up in Cornwall and it also it has I don't know if you know this but it has the inkling of the BFG in there because at one point someone sort of tells a story about these giants that go and pour dreams into people's ears or whatever it is that happens in the mm-hmm. BFG and then so years later Roald Dahl revisits that story and turns it into the BFG which is my other favourite one that he wrote. I never knew that that's um that's really interesting to hear I really liked I love both of those but I also I remember really liking Fantastic Mr Fox yeah but also um, James and the Giant Peach yeah um, yeah one. yeah and it's one of those that when you think about it now as an adult it's just completely mad, like as a yeah. concept for a book. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But yeah, um, yeah that's the, the the power of storytelling, isn't it? And just mm. that you're right there with them on this giant peach. Absolutely, so I probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably my, one of my favourite Roald Dahl. That was another. I quite like The Witches. Ooh. That was terrifying. Yeah. That was terrifying. Oh, so scary. Well, I talked about growing up in, in Cornwall, so growing up in a rural environment we only had a mobile library and that would come and visit once a week or a month or whatever. And I would go there and I would take out all the dinosaur books I could <laughs> and then try and read them all. And um, a bit like the snake book I talked about earlier, try and memorize them all and draw pictures of them and learn all these amazing facts about them and then put, give them back and try and get, get out any more dinosaur books if they had any. So yeah, I used to love that. And actually in terms of like seminal library moments, I remember being outside a library looking in and seeing a storyteller telling a story to all these children. And I was just a little bit older than all these children and old enough to sort of be self-aware enough to look in and be like, 
wow, they're really like enraptured by what he's doing. He's so cool. When I grow up, I really want to be that guy. I want to be like the guy in the library reading stories to children. So I, I, I get to live the dream. I get to do that now. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Have you got any early library memories that you wanted to share? I think my, yeah, I, I am the youngest one here. Um, so maybe you'll laugh at what my memory is. But my earliest memory of the libraries was being in Central Library. And that was, it still exists, but that was when the ship was in the, the children's area. So it's a big grand ship. I, to me, it looks like the Matthew. Uh, which is in Bristol Dock. And um, I remember sitting there and being really, really excited by how many books there were and um, the selection that there is there. And I have a younger brother who's about four years younger than me. And he was really, really excited by getting to play on this ship. And I remember just being that little bit older and just being like, oh, no, I'm here for the books. And and feeling (laughs) I'm feeling really, really proud that I was this little <laughs> elitist child, <laughs> but being really, really like captured by how much there was that I could borrow. The main problem was, could I bring it all home or not, rather than mm. there weren't enough books for me. Yeah. Mm. So I think that's everything for this episode. If you'd like to get in touch, you can reach us on the usual social media channels and using the hashtag ShelfLifeBristol. We'd like to give a special shout out to Will, who's a library assistant at Avonmouth, for his work helping edit this podcast for us. Quick shout out to Luke, a library volunteer who did a lot of editing work on this episode. Thanks, Luke. Also, a huge thank you to Dan Davies for the theme tune and Ollie, a library assistant at Knoll, for the transitional music. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye. Hi, Shelf Life listeners. Just to update you, we're now taking a short break over the summer and we'll be returning in the autumn. Please subscribe and follow us on social media to be the first to find out when season two is coming out. And please share this podcast with anyone who you think would like it. Enjoy the summer. We look forward to seeing you again soon for the next season of Shelf Life.